Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. This has been a uh, interesting year for getting experience with speaking. I remembered the last time I spoke was an empty church here, and it took me back when I first started speaking. I was very nervous to get up in front of people. And I always joked in our church, we had the old sanctuary upstairs. I always said, I'm just going to go up there and preach and everybody can sit down here and they can just film it and put it up on the screen. I won't have to get up and look at everybody. And, and they always told me, no, that, that won't work. You're going to have to get up in front of people and speak. And, and now I have had that opportunity this year to speak to an empty room and uh, it's not quite as easy as I thought it would be. It's a little more challenging. And now, now tonight's a little different too because I have people here, but about half of you are wearing masks. So I don't know if you're smiling at me or you're frowning at me or you might be sticking your tongue out at me. I don't know what's going on behind the mask there. Well, I want to preach for a little bit today on the subject, God Hears Your Cry. And it's from Psalms, the 18th chapter. But uh, before I do... You ever seen something just so bizarre so unusual that you knew there has to be a story behind that maybe you didn't know what the story was but you just see something and you think how in the world did that happen well I got a few photos I found on the internet here this is the first one I came across it just makes you wonder how in the world did that happen and I don't know the story behind that. I just imagine it, it looks like something a couple rednecks would have done. They were probably sitting out and talking and one of them said, hey, you know what? I bet we could build a ramp out of these extra pallets that we have laying around here. And uh, the other one probably said, well, that do I think we could do it. And the next thing you know, there they are on top of their house. and. See, I don't, I don't know what the story is, but there, you look at that and you say, there's, there's got to be some sort of story behind that. And it's probably a good thing that I wasn't there. Because as long as it wasn't my car or my house, I would have probably encouraged it. I'd been like, you know what, I think you can make it. You're going to need some more pallets, but I'll run down to the store and get them for you. And I bet you can ramp that car over that house. The, here's another photo I saw that makes you wonder... How in the world did that happen? Car, it doesn't show up too good there. It looks like a car went down escalators. And uh, you just have to wonder, how did that happen? I've been in a few parking garages before. And, you know, maybe, you know, you get in those and you get those, the aisles are just one way. And you have to drive around and try to find the exit. And then you make a wrong turn and you're going up the car ramp and I imagine man and his wife probably driving around the parking garage and he said you know what I'm sick of this I can't find the exit I'm just gonna take the escalators and and there you go here's another photo that I found that makes you wonder how in the world did that happen I don't I don't even have a good explanation for this one it's so unusual I have no idea how you would get a car hung up in the power lines like that 
But you know, I've, I have come to the conclusion that there are two different types of people in this world. There are those that can tell a story and there are those that can't tell a story. And uh, the ones that can't tell a story, I think, are divided into two categories. They usually ruin a story because either they don't provide enough details or they provide entirely too many details. And I thought about that in relation to this picture. I thought, I imagine some guy was probably driving home, gets home a little bit late. His wife says, well, you're a little later getting home tonight. And he says, yeah, saw a wreck on the way home. And so she, oh, okay. The next day she sees this photo in the paper and she says, whoa, did you see this? He says, well, yeah, I told you I saw a wreck on the way home. And she says, no, that's a little more than just a wreck. I needed a little more information on this. On the other hand, there are people that might see this and you might say, how in the world did that happen? And they'd say, oh, I know how that happened. See, Jack and Jill got into a fight last night, and they were having an argument over where they were going to go on vacation. And Jack wanted to go to California, but Jill wanted to go to Florida because, and you just want to interrupt them and say, I don't care where they were going on vacation. I don't care that they were having an argument. I want to know how the car got into power lines. Then if you interrupt them, they get mad at you and say, I'm getting to that. You have to know all the details. And it takes them 45 minutes to tell a story that should have only taken about five minutes to tell. And I noticed that uh, I think there's also kind of some of these in scripture too. I was listening to, uh, to uh, Brother uh, Matt was preaching on uh, Sunday night and he was talking about the story of Job. And he said there's two, there's basically two chapters where it tells you all the things that happened to Job. And then there's 36 chapters of basically conversation between Job and all his friends. And on one hand, I'm kind of like, you know, that's, it's probably important because it's in the Bible. So I'm assuming it's in there for a reason. On the other hand, I don't know that I need 36 chapters to tell me about a conversation between a couple friends. Like, could you give me the cliff note version or something? I have got a short attention span. I don't want to read 36 whole chapters. But then you've got a conversation between Job and his wife, and she only gets basically one line that she's known for. Why don't you curse God and die? And I thought, you know, there had to be other conversations that they had during this entire thing. But we don't know about any of those other conversations. Maybe you could have cut a little bit out of, you know, the conversations with Job's friends and put a little bit more into the conversation with Job and his wife. But then on the other hand, you have the story of a man named Benina. And the Bible says in Samuel chapter 23, verses 20 and 21, this is what we get about the story of Beniah. It says, And Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down into, or down also, and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff, 
and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. And that's all you get out of those stories. I read that story and I think if it starts off and says, he did many acts. I'd like to know a little bit more about this man who killed two lion-like men of Moab, it says. I read stories like this and I think, why was Benaiah fighting these two lion-like men? Why did he go down into a pit to fight a lion? Why was he fighting with this Egyptian? At least with the story of, you know, David and Goliath, we get a little bit of the backstory. You know, we know Goliath was down in the valley and he was defying the armies of Israel and send me a man. And we even get a little bit of the conversation between Goliath and David. You know, he says, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. And we don't get anything of these conversations. All we know is he had a beef with an Egyptian and ended up killing him. We don't know why. We don't know the backstory. It's, did the Egyptian insult his mother? Was he, you know, attacking his God? What was the story behind this? So I was reading one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Psalm 18. And I kind of give you that little intro paragraph at the beginning of the Psalm. And, you know, most of the time when you read, you just kind of skip over that and just start reading the main chapter. But I took a look at this one. And it says at the beginning of Psalm 18, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song, in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So I read that, and my first thought was, I wonder when this was written. I'd like to know the backstory of this. It says it was written when he delivered David out of the hands of his enemies and out of the hands of Saul, but we know from reading the story of David there were several times that God delivered him from the hand of his enemies. So was it when he was running from Saul in the wilderness of En Gedi and God delivered him? Was it when the Amalekites destroyed Ziklag and David went after them and God delivered them into his hand? Was it after the death of Saul or was it after David became king? And I looked into it and I couldn't really find an answer to that. Some people say it was written when David was in En Gedi and God delivered him from the hand of Saul there. But then there were others that said, well, you know, we really don't know when this was written. And I told the Lord, I said, you know, I'd like to know a little bit of backstory of this. And I just felt like in my spirit, the Lord said, you know, the backstory doesn't really matter. Because Psalm 18 is a song about the delivering power of God. And God has the power to deliver no matter what situation you find yourself in. And I suppose if we had a backstory, like maybe we do with David, maybe we could say, well, David was surrounded by an enemy army. And I'm glad God delivered him, but I'm not facing an enemy army. I'm dealing with a battle in my mind, or I'm dealing with this temptation that I'm struggling with. But this psalm is just as true for us today as it was for David. So I want to take a look into this chapter and we're going to skip around a little bit because as I began studying for it I realized that this is one of the longer chapters in the Bible so we're not going to read every passage but I want to look at a few of the main passages starting in Psalm 18 verse 4 and 6 it says the sorrows of death compassed me and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid 
The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even unto his ears. David describes his situation in terms that make it sound like he was in a tight spot. He describes it as being compassed about. That word means to be surrounded, enclosed on all sides. He describes floods of ungodly men. When I read that, my mind went back a few years ago. You might remember the tsunami that hit Indonesia, made big news. And uh, I remember seeing some videos of that where the tsunami hit. And people were on the beach watching as the tsunami came in and they didn't realize what it was. And all of a sudden, as the water got closer to them, they realized they needed to get off the beach and they would turn and take off running. And it didn't matter if they were tired, didn't matter if they were old, needed to rest, that water just kept coming. And there were trees there, it didn't stop for the trees, it didn't stop for the houses, it just continued to come. That's kind of the imagery that comes to mind when he talks about floods of ungodly men that he was facing. Just, Lord, I could use a rest, but my enemies, they just keep coming. I'm just keep coming under attack. He also describes his situation as being caught in a snare, trapped, unable to escape. And when you're caught in a snare, it kind of limits you. You know, the thing about a snare, at least the, some of them that I was looking at, it doesn't usually kill you, it just kind of traps you. It kind of puts limits on you, limits your movement. And so an animal caught in a trap could, may want to get away, but it, it can't because it's confined by that cage. And I thought, boy, sometimes you go through life and you just feel like you're in some of these situations. Like you go through life just feeling like I am just so overwhelmed by life situations. I just need a break, but I can't rest because life just keeps coming at me. Just one thing after another. I feel limited by what I can do. I feel like I'm trapped. Trapped maybe by mental barriers that you just can't seem to break through. Trapped by people that don't believe like you and they just keep attacking you and mocking you you just reach the point where you feel like you can only make it so far and no further because something is holding you back whenever this particular passage was written one thing is clear David was in a pretty serious situation and it led him to call out to God now you may look at a situation like this and think I wonder what the backstory is. How did you manage to get yourself into such a predicament? God must be punishing you. You must have ignored some warnings. Something must have gone wrong for you to be in this situation. What is the backstory that got you into this situation? But later in the chapter, David basically says, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I wasn't being punished because I was evil. Psalms chapter 18 verses 20 through 26 or 24 rather 
it says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me. I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him. I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. So this was after God had come through, after God had delivered him. David says, I was doing right. I hadn't disobeyed God's laws. I hadn't been doing wicked deeds. I had been righteous. And I still found myself surrounded by floods of ungodly men and trapped. And sometimes we can find ourselves in a mess where we didn't do anything to get there. And I think back to the start of this year, we started out great. Things were going. We had prayer and fasting. We were having powerful services and God was doing great things. And then all of a sudden, COVID comes along. We have to close the church. We have to go start doing services online. And there's still those that haven't made it back. There are those that have gotten sick from this virus. And you may think, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? I was trying to live for you. I was trying to do what was right. And now it seems like I'm under attack. Maybe your situation isn't even COVID related. Maybe you say, Lord, I'm trying to do what's right. I try to read my Bible. I try to do what you want me to do, but I still have this battle in my mind, or I still have this temptation that I'm fighting, or I'm still dealing with this battle in my family. What did I do to deserve this? But just like Job that Brother Calhoun talked about Sunday. You don't always have to do anything to find yourself in a situation like this. Job and David didn't do anything wrong, but they found themselves in situations that they were in. And David said God delivered him because he was righteous and he had not committed iniquity and he obeyed God's commands. David was basically saying he hadn't done anything that would warrant an attack against him. And I have to admit, when I was reading this particular passage of scripture, these verses made me stop and think. Because Brother Calhoun was talking about Job on Sunday night. And when he was talking about Job, he said that, you know, Bible tells everything that Job went through. And then it says, in all this, Job sinned not. And Brother Calhoun said, I don't know that the same thing could be said for me. He said, I don't know that I could live up to that level of righteousness. And that's really not that surprising because we know Brother Calhoun has faults. And we know that he makes mistakes. And I say that because he's not here to defend himself and I can get away with it. But this may come as a little bit of a shock to you. Because he was open and honest, I decided to do the same thing. And the truth is, I also have faults. I know, it's hard to believe. You can just hear a gasp of amazement go through the congregation. It's hard to believe that I have faults. I don't have many, but I do have one or two that I, I deal with. And, uh, <laughs> 
boy, I got off track there. So, <laughs> you know, truth truth be told, I have a little bit of a a little bit of a temper problem, and uh, when I'm driving down the road and a car pulls out in front of me, and then decides to go 10 miles an hour slower than I was driving, I have to admit, hallelujah is not the first thing that comes to my mind. And the other day, I was at lunch, and I went to, I was at work, so I only have a certain amount of time for lunch. And I took off and went to the drive-thru, and I got there, and I thought, oh, this is perfect. There's only two or three cars in line. It shouldn't take any time at all for me to get through this drive-thru. And, and every car in this drive-thru must have never been at a fast food restaurant before. Because I think they all got up there and had to read the entire menu before they decided what they wanted to eat. I'm like, come on, people. I knew what I wanted before I even got here. They've had the same thing for years. You should know what you want. And all the cars, they finally got me up there, and I get up there to place my order, and I know what I want. I'm ready to go, and I, I give them my order, and I had to repeat it two or three times because they kept messing it up. And I finally get up, and I, I pull around the corner to go up to where I pay for it, and there's a car there, and there's no car in front of him. He's the last car, and I think, now we're moving. Now all we have to do is pay, and we're going to be in the clear. And this guy sat there at the drive-thru where he had to pay and just sat there and was carrying on a conversation with the lady. And I thought, why doesn't this idiot get going? This moron thinks this is a social club. This is a drive-thru. You're supposed to keep driving through. And he sat there and I was getting aggravated. And finally he pulls up to the next window and gets his food. And I pulled up to pay for my food. And the lady hands me my receipt and says, car in front of you paid for your meal. That'll, that'll make you feel like a heel. I don't know who it was, but uh, might have even been somebody in here. I don't know if it was. I'm sorry. I was having a bad day that day. So I read particular passages like this where David says, God rewarded me according to my righteousness. And I thought, I'm not entirely sure that I could say the same thing. That makes you kind of stop and think whether you would be able to say that God, Lord, I want you to reward me according to my righteousness. In days like that where I'm having a bad day, you know, I can kind of relate more to the passage in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. And it says, but we are all as unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. See, the devil would love to tell you, see, your best efforts aren't good enough. You tried your best to live for God, and look where it got you. You're still under attack. Do you really think God's going to listen to your pleas? Do you think that God's going to hear your cry? But then I get to thinking back of the life of David, and I remember, you know, the story of David and Bathsheba. And I think, how could he claim to be righteous? As a matter of fact, many of the heroes of faith that we read about had faults. Many of them also made mistakes. So I began to look into that a little bit, and I came across Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, verses 5 through 6. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, 
that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In the days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Then I came across this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. This is the amplified version. It says, but it is from him that you have your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom from God, revealed unto us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation, previously hidden, hidden, manifesting itself as our righteousness, thus making us upright and putting us in right standing with God, and our consecration, making us pure and holy, and our redemption, providing a ransom from eternal penalty from sin. See, I didn't do anything on my own righteousness, but I'm glad that God loved me enough that he came down to earth and sacrificed himself for me. That through the shedding of his blood, I can be righteous. And when the devil tries to tell you God won't listen to your prayers because you aren't worthy, you can just remind him that Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for your sin and his blood makes us pure and holy. And we're washed in the blood of Jesus. When you're washed in the blood, you can, as a child of God, he'll hear your prayers when you cry out to him. Now, many times in the Psalms, we read how God delivered his people. But we don't always get a real vivid picture of how he did it. And I like the 18th Psalm because it really gives a vivid description of how God reacts when his children are in distress and cry out to him. Verses 7 through 19 give quite a description of God's response. There's a long portion there, but I just want to take a look at the first few verses, verses 7 through 9. It says, when David cried to God, it says, Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also the hills were moved and shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. Have you ever known somebody that was nice and kind most of the time? But you knew deep down this was somebody you didn't want to get on their bad side? I think this passage is what the devil experiences when he's gone too far. When God's children cry out to him, all of a sudden there's a rumbling in the distance. And God says, I'm going to go down there and take care of what's troubling my child. It says fire went out of his mouth. Later it says there were hailstones and coals of fire. This description is of an angry God that's coming down to deliver his loved ones that have called to him. Verses 16 through 19, same chapter says he sent from above and took me and drew me out of many waters he delivered me from my strong enemy from them which hated me for they were too strong for me they prevented me in the day of my calamity but the lord was my stay he brought me forth also into a large place he delivered me because he delighted in me those floods that david talked about at the start of the chapter they were no match for an almighty God. 
David said God drew him out of many waters. That situation that has you feeling overwhelmed is no match for Almighty God. He goes on to say God delivered me from my strong enemy. I like the fact that David doesn't downplay the strength of his enemy, but rather he acknowledges that his enemy was a strong enemy. But his enemy was no match for God. He says God set him in a large place. That means those restrictions that his enemies had put on him, those things that kept him ensnared and limited, that said you can go this far and you can go no farther, those had now been removed. And when God answers the cries of his people, not only does he deliver, but he transforms. See, the chapter started out with David being afraid and in distress, and he cried out unto God. But by the time verse 32 rolls around, there's been a change that takes place in him. He says, It is God that girdeth me with strength, and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet, and setteth me upon a high places. He teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. It's like God doesn't just come down and do all the work for David, but he says, I'm going to put you through a training program. God started building David's strength. He gave him sure footing and taught him how to fight. God gave David all the equipment and all the power and knowledge that he needed to get victory over his enemy. It's no surprise by verse 40 that the tables had turned for David. Verses 40 through 41, it says, Thou hast also given me the neck of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. That brings to mind the image of a conquered foe that's brought before a king and thrown on the ground at his feet. And the king places his foot on the neck of his enemy. I love how the tables have turned. When it started out, David was the one crying out to God, but now it's David's enemies that are crying for mercy. It's no wonder that after seeing the delivering power of God, after seeing the transformation that took place in his life, we could go back to Psalms or 18, the first verse. When it starts out, verses 1 through 3, David says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. There was a transformation that took place in David. Not only in this did God just come down and deliver him, though he could have done that, but he also strengthened David. He also removed the snares that had, had him bound. And I'm done. <laughs> but we only briefly went over this chapter. Just kind of skimmed over it. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter when you get some time. But I want to leave you with this tonight. I don't know what situation you're going through. I don't know what kind of battles that you're facing. And I don't need to know. But I'm sure that 
with everything we have gone through this year, someone is going through something in their life. Maybe you felt like you're just overwhelmed by everything that's happening in your life. Maybe you feel like your strength is giving out. Maybe you feel like you're trapped, like the enemy has put restrictions on your life. Maybe the enemy has tried to convince you that it won't do any good to cry out to God because God doesn't love you. You aren't worthy enough. You've messed up too bad. Surely God wouldn't listen to your prayers. Maybe the devil has convinced you that if you do call out to God, God's just waiting to bring the hammer down and to punish you. But the fact is the devil wants you to believe that because he knows that the hammer isn't for him. It's not, or it's not for a child of God. But the hammer is going to fall on his head. Maybe you've been in a battle for a long time and you're wondering why God hasn't moved on your behalf yet. I read a quote online the other day. It says, God doesn't always move quickly, but he does move suddenly. Maybe you feel like the enemy has been closing in on you for a while. You feel like the trap is getting tighter and tighter and you're wondering why God doesn't do something. He may not operate on our timetable, but it only takes one moment and suddenly God can turn it all around for you. Maybe you've been fighting for so long and you've just gotten weary and you don't know how you're going to make it through. It's okay to get weary in the fight, just don't get weary of the fight. The Bible says the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world today and it says that that spirit will seek to wear out the saints of the Most High. But God has supernatural strength available for you today. I want you to know whatever you're going through, God does hear your cry. And if you call out to him, he'll answer. Can we all just stand here today and maybe just right where you're standing, let's just raise our hands and cry out to God for a moment. No matter what you're going through, I want you to know that the Lord hears your cry. He's here today for you. Lord, we thank you for your presence that we feel here in this place today. For the sweet moving of your spirit, Lord. Lord, for those in this place that are going through a battle, Lord, I ask that you would strengthen them right now. Encourage their hearts, Lord God. Thank you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah.